Hello there, this is Fiona, host and main GM for What Am I Rolling, a twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast. This is a bonus Q&A episode to tide us over to the next one-shot, and it's indeed a very special Q&A, as this week I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing game designer Jason Cordova, the creator behind Brindlewood Bay, The Between, and the recently released analogue horror tabletop RPG, Public Access. As well as designing and writing game content, Jason founded The Gauntlet, a community that celebrates tabletop RPGs. Alongside running hundreds of online games every month and hosting a podcast network dedicated to the discussion of tabletop RPGs, The Gauntlet is also a publishing group that puts out the Codex magazine, as well as games such as Trophy and Hearts of Wulin. Jason very kindly ran a two-shot of The Between for us back in January, and honestly, it was such a blast. The VOD of that one-shot is now up on the Wear YouTube channel, and will be appearing in audio format in the episodes following this interview. I really enjoyed chatting to Jason and discussing his games in detail. I'll be honest, I hadn't read much of his work beforehand, and getting to play in a really cool, creepy, historical horror game and listening to him be passionate about game design, it was really, really cool. There are lots of really cool ideas and interesting game mechanics that are already sort of embedded and baked into the structure of his games. So if you want to try a mystery game with sprinkling of horror, I recommend checking out his work. I'll put links to the Gauntlet website and Jason's work in this episode show notes. And we'll just get straight into it. So my first uh, usual question, unfortunately, Jason, it's, it's my go-to, but like, how did you get into the role-playing scene? Did you start out as a player? Were you already a GM? What, what's your origin story, I guess? Yeah, my gaming origin story. Well, I started playing role-playing games in the fourth grade um, mm-hmm. for people in the UK. That's like 10 years old. Um, <laughs> I was, my dad used to take me to this comic book shop in Oceanside, California, and there was on the shelf the boxed Marvel superheroes game. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what a role-playing game was. It was like a completely foreign concept to me. I'd never heard of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And, but I convinced my dad to buy it for me. And so <laughs> he bought it for me. It was the advanced one too. There was like, there was like the normal one and the advanced one, but this oh. was the advanced one. So um, not only did I not know anything about, ro- about role-playing games, I got like the harder. Hard- of the hardest so, one in. Yeah, my God. yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> So um, I brought it home and for like a couple months, I still didn't really know like what it was. Like I just Mm -hmm. read it and I just had, I could not like conceive of what it was. But then an older kid came over and taught me how to do it, taught me how to play uh, the game. And so, um, yeah, from there, I, I was really hooked on it. Like it was just Mm -hmm. a, it was just like a thing for me, you know, Mm -hmm. I still kind of really distinctly remember this older kid was running the game for me and he said you know he kind of set up the scenario for me i was like playing a villain and i was robbing a jewelry store or something and (laughs) and he was like what do you do and i was like i was like what do you mean what do i do he's like what do you do and i was like i don't know like do i roll these dice now or do i do do i look at this chart like what what, i don't know what what do you mean what do i do and he said just tell me what you do and so he finally got me to just describe what i did Mm. and and i remember like that was just such a light bulb moment for me you know I was I it just like clicked into place like this like possibility this like world of possibility you know that like Mm. you that unlike video games like I was just I could just do whatever you know Mm. and 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 
there, like the only limitation was with just whatever we talked about, what our imaginations were, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I've been pretty much hooked ever since then. Mm -hmm. I, you know, played second edition AD&D. I played all the Palladium games and Shadowrun and all that kind of stuff and uh, Vampire for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I got out of role-playing games in like the 3E era. I missed 3E and 4E for that matter. I didn't really mm -hmm. play those at all. Yeah. And then I kind of came back uh with the indie rpg scene that's really where when i came back in 2013 mm. i was very into some of the games that um at the time were coming out of what was known as the forge uh mm. design movement and um games by like jason morningstar and yes. john harper and people like that right mm. and um and meg and vincent baker like all their stuff so i at that point i was looking for people to play these games with and so i was living in houston texas at the time and mm. i found a local group that was kind of defunct it was not really active it was called the gauntlet and oh. <laughs> i i just like went on their little community page and i was like hey um would anybody be interested in playing these games with me mm -hmm. and someone said yes and so we started meeting like every friday night in a in an office park where they turned the ac off on fridays <laughs> which was not great fun but we had such a good time and we just we just kept it up week after week and mm. Fridays eventually became Fridays and Wednesdays and then eventually like Fridays, Wednesdays and Sundays and the face to face Houston gauntlet still meets like two or three times a oh, week, um, even though I haven't been involved in it in years. Mm. And yeah, like at our at our height in Houston, this would have been around like 2014 or 2015, we mm -hmm. we would have like six tables going and like 20 or 30 people show up, which was huge for indie role-playing games. Yeah, know? absolutely. Because Pathfinder was the only other game in town at that time, mm. you know. From there, it kind of turned into podcasts. Uh, I eventually incorporated the gauntlet, uh, took it over and made it a business. And now we do publishing. And so, yeah, that's sort of the the quick summary of of my arc i guess yeah. yeah and it's really interesting to hear you talk about that sort of almost like the galaxy brain moment as it were about that sort of like collaborating and not looking to the character sheet or the rules like mm -hmm. supporting them and yeah i can totally see that with jason morning star stuff like fiasco is such a beautiful one for that because you're literally collaborating with all these people mm -hmm. across the tables and you know using these these tables are just like here's an idea and you're like brilliant and then you run right, off of it yeah, and it doesn't exactly. matter it's interesting because i i too have started to get more and more into those games as well just because like it gets to a point where I, i've got too many rules in my head i just want to i just want to mm -hmm. perform i want to improvise i want to create a story yeah, that isn't yeah on the sheets and that definitely feels like a like part of your sort of usp which i know is, is not, not it's not turn my finger but like that's such a unique style of all of your games that there's definitely this yeah. collaborative element between the game master facilitator and the players it's not like one overarching person over the other yeah i think that's right and i i really do kind of embrace this sort of collaborative storytelling idea i would say that my games tend to be somewhere in the middle of like very very rules light stuff like fiasco and like more traditional games i do mm. like a little bit more of a system and mechanical framework than some other lighter mm. story games do mm -hmm. but still very collaborative i mean i think that probably shows itself most uh distinctly in the fact that all of my mystery games uh you collaborate to solve them there is mm. the, you, you collaborate to come up with the solution there is yeah. no predetermined solution right yeah i just think that's the you know when we talk about like the strengths of role-playing games as a medium, I think that that collaborative storytelling aspect to it is a really big part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's where my design kind of lies. It's like, okay, how do we take like the strengths of this medium and, um, and harness them to tell the best kind of 
story or to do genre or whatever mm. right and um and it's been really fun yeah and and actually yeah talking about it yeah because your genre i do think obviously other than horror uh but also but it is mystery mystery and well. horror yeah. yeah yeah but but it's, i think the mystery style is interesting obviously i know we'll go into your games in a second but like for me not a lot of a lot of people obviously i know obviously with the ogl stuff that's been happening and D and everything obviously everyone yeah. uses the fifth edition just now for everything and i've always said this right i i feel that that system works but it can't it if you use other systems that like, you get so much better stories out of it and for me i was always struggling to find a system that could do mm-hmm. mystery so well you know i think mm-hmm. before being introduced to your games the only other game that sort of came close to it was sort of city of mists and obviously that is designed to be like case notes and all that sort of thing yeah yeah it just and that's the thing it's like it's not about so how do you write a mystery and then incorporate you know ability modifiers and stuff like that whereas obviously with your games mm. you're like here is the f- horror here is the mystery mm-hmm. it's up to the players how to solve it and come up with their theory which will always be correct unless they roll incorrectly and it right, yeah, and i'm just right. like i've never yeah you use none of it's you know you had the idea and then you can run off and it, every time you play it, it's different and i just yeah i was just like instantly I want to play more of these games. So <laughs> awesome. it's good. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> so let's talk about it then. Let's. Uh, I guess we'll talk about uh, Brindlewood Bay because I know that sort of came first, even though I know the between is sort of came before. Yeah. yeah. For those people who don't know, what is Brindlewood Bay and how does it differ to other RPGs that are out there? Yeah. Well, I will say one thing uh, before, before I even begin that by the time this goes out, uh, yes. Brindlewood Bay will be available to pre-order. Uh, so the if you did not get a physical copy on Kickstarter, <gasps> you will be able to do so. Oh my god, amazing! Um, <laughs> but yeah, Brindlewood Bay is a game about a group of elderly women in a fictional New England town um, who are members of a book club called the Murder Mavens. They're a mystery book club. And at the start of the game, they have sort of already helped local law enforcement (laughs) with a few crimes (laughs) because they're very good at solving mysteries because of all their expertise from reading mystery books, um, as you do, you know. And... um, (laughs) And then they get wrapped up in 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 real murders, like there are real murders happening in their in and around their town, and mm. so and the and the local police are kind of like incompetent, and so the murder mavens are sort of there to to solve mysteries, right, and to mm. to figure out who did it. The extra fun thing about Brindlewood Bay, because I am always a horror writer before I'm anything else, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, is that the reason why all these murders are taking place is because Brindlewood Bay is spiritually and geographically significant and historically yes. significant to a cult called the Midwives of the Fragrant Void. Love it. This cult is orchestrating the murders ultimately in the background. And so um, the murder mavens will eventually have to face the cult. And that's the kind of the campaign structures. They mm-hmm. have to like, uh, they have to face down this occult conspiracy. So I like to say that the game is, it's sort of like, uh, Cthulhu she wrote or yeah. uh, murder yeah. she wrote meets like cosmic horror like that kind of thing right yeah and it's it's great fun and it and and as we alluded to earlier it uses a um, a mystery system which uh, was pretty somewhat unique in the hobby I would say where mm. where basically the keeper who, which is what we call the GM the keeper has like lists of clues and different things that they're information they're giving to the players but there is no predefined solution to the murders mm. um, of who did it the players actually gather all the clues that they've they've got and all the extra context and evidence that they've gathered and they come up with a theory of the case and mm. then you roll some dice to see how um, 
how whether you're correct or if you're correct but there's maybe like a complication or a problem or mm. if you're totally wrong and your suspect ends up dead too right so <laughs> that that's kind of the gist of it though and it's so it's it's this game that sort of combines this unique mystery system with mm. these sort of cozy murder mystery story elements um with these supernatural horror elements as well yeah now instantly i'm thinking of like as you said i know you mentioned sort of murder she wrote but like even only murders in the building which is obviously oh, sure. recent, yeah. mm-hmm. you know i just it's just all that sort of stuff where it is like you said mm-hmm. it's not it's an unlikely protagonist that us younger people wouldn't play etc but i'm just like instantly yeah, yeah. i'm in and i i know a lot of people who obviously have heard of this are like well i when can we play because of that sort of different way of looking at it you're you're yeah. not you're not heroes you're again quotation marks past your prime but you there's so much in that game like i absolutely love you've got the the move which is a cozy move which is obviously yes. like you know it's about your relationships with the other mavens and like mm-hmm. how you are you're an individual independent person because your partner's mm-hmm. passed away or your children have flown the nest etc and i really it just makes you think about those sort of murder, murder mysteries about that usually have a female protagonist and they don't need any of these extra things per se. And it's just, it's so different. And again, I'm like, oh my God, I don't think I've ever read anything like that. That just has that setting. And I'm like, and there's cosmic horror. Tick, you know? <laughs> on top of all that yeah <laughs> right yeah well one of the things that was like a really big focus in, of the game for me in addition to all the things that we've talked about um i really wanted the characters to be like whole characters like that was really really important to me um for a start we don't usually get like games that center women characters like this mm-hmm. at least not in this particular way and certainly not older characters right and mm-hmm. so you know, in Brindlewood Bay, the sort of setup of the story, like you like you said, is that they are, you know, their partners are, are deceased. They are basically, you know, kind of like in the last leg of their lives, but it's like a second life in a way. Like they're yeah. sort of like finding new companionship, new friendship, and mm-hmm. they have new passions and new, you know, um, it's just like, it's, it's, it's basically like the message of the game is like, you don't have to just like, you know, crawl in your grave at a certain age. Right? <laughs> like you, you get to like keep being a whole person, right? Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and, and you can even fight occult forces, right? You know, yeah, so, yeah it looks yeah. to be deceiving. And I really, what I, there's two things that sort of stood out for me, obviously, like the cozy move and and then like the, the gold crown mysteries move where <laughs> at any point your players could be like, oh, that reminds me of something that happened to the character in my in our book series. And I'm you're like, right, yeah, I yeah. instantly gives that improv thing, that collaborative <laughs> right. thing. And, you, and you're just there as a the facilitator going, oh yeah? go on then and then you're like yeah it kind of works go for it you know? and I, I love that because you obviously have to name the book you have yes. to name the problem and that's related to the problem that you're trying to solve and the solution that mm-hmm. this character comes up with that then you can go I, I guess we could try that and I just because <laughs> that is again it's such a big trope in these things and I just mm-hmm. I just thought that was such a really cool little move again that I hadn't seen about that you, the flashback moments and you're just like ah oh, I remember this in a book and you, then you yeah, have exactly. to improv yeah. it just, oh really love that yeah the the game has lots of like um what I would call like sort of meta textual like things kind of going on in it you know mm. not just related to mystery books but also to television the game has a big love of like american television in particular yes. and so yeah it's it's a fun uh congregation of all the things i i love so yeah and i've always i've had great fun with it and obviously i know this is when you look at the structure as well because i think this is i think to some people that if they're not so sure if they're trying to look into new systems i think obviously your games are so good because they have this structure in place mm-hmm. so you don't have to if you're not sure about the mystery like i don't have it all completely and you have to share with the players and this may be something that you're uncomfortable with at least the structure is there having this way to move through the game and you it's always mm-hmm. the same 
per session. And I just thought that was really cool. Including, again, kudos to you, this idea of the cut to commercial thing where yeah. <laughs> something goes wrong and you're like, okay, we're going to cut to commercial and get them to do a prompt where you go, what on earth have they done? Uh, I've got to think of a way to <laughs> stop it. But I love that. I, again, that's a very improv thing. And I, I just had that idea that you can just, okay, now you're going to uh, narrate a commercial. How are you going to get out of this? What do you normally see? You know, giving them the prompt to do that. And I just thought, yeah, I really love that. One thing that like, that kind of sticks out to me I, i'm a gm before i'm anything you know like mm. i run lots and lots of games and even to this day i run i probably run like four sessions a week right and wow. and and always just for people in our community just like our fans i just run them for random people who want to play and uh but i really love running games and i have baked a lot of my own like kind of gm knowledge and techniques mm. like directly into the rules of the game you know mm -hmm. and so some of those structural elements and those procedural elements um, they they come they come straight from like just how I run games, you know, mm. and I think that actually I, my favorite bit of feedback I ever get from any of my games is when somebody sends me a message and they're like, this was the first time I GM something like I've never GM something mm. before and it was great or oh. I wasn't sure if, I've only ever played D&D &D and I wasn't sure if I could ever do like Powered by the Apocalypse or a similar type mm. of thing and I felt really comfortable like you with the text and like it so like I love that like that's my favorite yes. thing like I love like when people respond to that part of it because mm. the books truly are like probably two-thirds of each book is like essentially my love letter to other gms like basically just <laughs> saying like okay you're gonna do this and you're gonna do this and it's gonna be so great and then you're gonna do that you know like it's just it's very like kind mm. of like very advice focused for gms like I, it, I just like that kind of you know writing and it really is as well like again all the all the sort of stuff comes into this sort of broken sort of playbooks and all that sort of thing so it's all can be quite separated but yeah i i definitely noticed that while sort of reading for this interview is just like oh it's just like oh by the way this move don't worry about it just do this you know and, and just yeah. felt like <laughs> Oh, you're yeah. Jason, you're here talking to me. It's I'm fine. I'm sure talking to you. Yep. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. And I, I appreciate books like that because so much, so many times you get into a, you know, a new system, or whatever, and go, here's the mechanics. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, here's all the law. Here's stuff you shouldn't do. And mm -hmm. you just start going, oh, and it's like, but like here you've obviously got your structure, you've got, like you said, the power by the apocalypse, that's sort of the underlying sort of system for the mechanic. And then you've just got you just going, hey, these moves, this might happen. If it happens, think about this, <laughs> right. this. But don't worry about that. Only yeah. if it happens, you know. And I'm like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, the the keeper chapters, especially, um, especially in the new edition of Brindlewood Bay and mm. and in the between, I even say at the beginning of those chapters, I'm like, just so you know, the tone and voice of these chapters is different than the previous chapters because <laughs> yeah. now it's just me talking to you, and we're gonna just have a little chat, you know, yeah, a one way yeah. chat, but a chat, you know. Yeah, so, you'll listen to me. Yeah, yeah no, no. Well, well, then let's let's move on to the between. Now, obviously, yeah, yeah. I I feel incredibly biased at this point because obviously you have run a game of the between that will be yeah, coming out fun. on the podcast. Yeah, it was a great oh, fun. it was so much fun. Again, I had very little idea what I was going to be stepping into, and it just felt to me everything I wanted in a horror game, which I appreciate. It's just Thank me. You. I, okay. I got you. I get you on to do an interview, and I'm just going to say you were great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> we'll start properly then. How did you describe the Between, and how is it different to Brindlewood Bay? <laughs> yeah, the Between is a game about a group of monster hunters in Victorian era London who are associates or residents of this place called Hargrave House, which is in um, Belgravia. Mm. And the game is directly inspired by Penny Dreadful. Mm. Uh, that is the direct inspiration for it. I was literally like, I want to make a Penny Dreadful game. There's no Penny Dreadful game. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah. it also takes a lot of inspiration from, um, you know, British horror classics, uh, stuff like, you know, the Sherlock Holmes books and things mm. like that. Uh, and also the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is another yeah. big influence on it. Mm. But anyway, yeah, these, you're monster hunters and 
like Brentwood Bay, it has sort of a mystery system at its core. It's the same mystery system, except this time the questions are expanded beyond just who did a murder. Now it's, is this vampire actually a child or is it just a really old vampire in a child's body? Mm -hmm. Or why is this ghost causing all this trouble? What can we do to get this ghost to calm down <laughs> and go away? You know, like, so the questions <laughs> that you're investigating are expanded. And mm -hmm. so it uses a slightly reframed uh, mystery system from Brindlewood Bay to sort of expand the possibilities of what you can investigate. Mm -hmm. And the monsters are uh, frequently literal monsters, uh, but they can also be sort of serial killer type monsters, you know, um, because it takes place in Victorian or London, you have your a whole passel of Jack the Ripper style killers, yeah. you know, that, that are out there in the world. And it's a more mechanically intricate game than Redwood Bay. Mm. It has um, playbooks instead of a common character sheet. Mm. And it has a couple of mechanical and structural things that Redwood Bay doesn't have. But I think it's still very easy to run and play. Oh, yes. uh, structure really does a lot of work in this game. Uh, mm. And it keeps everything kind of like nice and, and tight and on track. And the biggest piece of feedback I always get from it is... I didn't know I could ever just create things like that at the table. I exactly. didn't know that was something I could do, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you can do it. And and you were able to do it because the game has built in like structure and procedures for like helping facilitate this certain kind of storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you're going to get gothic horror. You're going to get romance. You're going to get bloody violence. You're going to get all these things. And it's going to be evocative and sensory and sensual. And yeah. um, so that's kind of where it lives. It's a, it's, you know, Brindlewood Bay has like a kind of kitsch camp element to it, but mm -hmm. the between is very, very like <laughs> no, brooding. Don't get mixed up. <laughs> yeah. Brooding and gothic and dark. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that's a space that I like to live sometimes. And so it was, it was you know, it, the two games are in conversation with one another from a design yeah. standpoint, like they're, mm -hmm. they feed off each other quite a bit and in their development or they have in the past but uh yeah it's it's uh i, I think it's the ultimate gothic horror game like 100%. you know if that's what you're going if that's what you want you want that you're gonna get it yeah a hundred percent like again i had not come across anything like that and instantly as soon as you sort of talked us through it and then were revealing these threats and stuff i was like oh Yes, it is like Penny Travel. Oh, yay. <laughs> and I, my heart sort of excited because I've been running a lot of like uh, horror games in a sense of I've done Call of Cthulhu. I've, I'm doing sure, Alien yeah. just now. And of course, they are like, here are big horror tropes. And it was so different to actually come into a game, which is all about, like you said, the sensory. It's all this sort of seductiveness mm. about it's it. It's very seductive. It's yeah. So, yeah. And I was just like, oh, I don't want to play more of this. And <laughs> as, as I said to you at the time. But one thing that really struck me about this game, you said you said it to us, like, don't come up with a backstory. We're going to find it out through play. Yes, yeah. And, oh, man, that, it's A, a big weight off my mind as a player. I'm like, done. <laughs> That's good. You. But also, <laughs> yeah. it just meant you were in the moment as a player, because obviously there are moves where, where you would go, okay, now you narrate a flashback from your past, or you mention a detail yeah. now. And then it just made me feel like, like when I was doing it, I was like, oh, I can just literally improvise and go off and do the stuff but be taking that, those details from the players right now at the table rather than mm -hmm. spending hours on a document going and this <laughs> is what i'm yeah. you know and this is my cv yeah. and it, i don't again i don't know any other game that deliberately says don't do any backstory it is the only game i'm aware of and i'm guessing that just because it is it is the sort of thing that some people have a bit of i want to say trouble but like they always yes. it always gives them pause for at first you know because mm -hmm. You know, one of the fun things in role-playing games is making your character, right? Like, that's mm. something that people love to do. And there's a certain type of player who really, really loves to think about their character's yeah. backstory and wants to tell you about it. All I'm, <laughs> all, all my game says is, don't tell us about it yet. Mm. Like, 
go ahead and think about it. You've you've got a whole list of prompts to like, you know, mm. to facilitate your thinking about it. And when we go home and we come back next week, you can have thought about it. Just sure. don't tell us yet. Like, mm. just tell us. Well, you only tell us when it's like dramatically interesting. Um, yeah, that's and that's true. because we want we intend for the game to be cinematic, right? Mm. Some people like to improvise on the fly too, and that's fine as well. Yeah. So it's the cinematic approach to character backstory where, as a comparison, if you were watching a TV show, it would be a very very bad TV show if they just told you all of the characters stuff like in episode one in the first mm -hmm. hour, right? Like that would be really terrible. Mm -hmm. And you, you learn it throughout, you know, you learn it like in key moments and that's kind yeah. of what the between is trying to emulate. Absolutely. And yeah, I, yeah, I definitely see what you mean by that sort of like having those things. But I think also, again, another big kudos to you and, and obviously uh, writers on it. It's like when you come up with those prompts and asking them like, you know, like when you do the Janus mask and you're like, eh, something, something, what about this that is specific? And mm. it's and that instantly goes. Oh, I have to hone in on this moment as yeah, a player, yeah. rather than rather than necessarily think. So yeah, you could have this idea in the background, but then you go, uh, okay, let's just go with this. Moment. You got to focus it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I find that there's a this is this is a design thing that's really important to me. Actually, mm. I have this sense and indeed experience with a lot of story games and less traditional games where they sometimes have what I what I call a getting started problem. Mm. Um, I actually think Fiasco has this problem. I love Fiasco, mm. but Fiasco, in my opinion, has sometimes a bit of a starting a getting started problem because you you do all this great setup and then you kind of like, well, what do we do now? You know? Yes. Yes. Agreed. Um, and the way I try to elide like sort of this kind of basic problem that a lot of games have is I do have a lot of more like there's like leading questions and there's like really mm. specific prompts and and not just on the character sheet but like whenever you visit new locations there's stuff mm. that the keeper like kind of prompts you with mm. and i find that that's rather than limiting you by saying tell me about a b and c oh, what yeah. it really does is it expands your possibilities yeah. right because you go deeper right mm. like like if you know i have if you know you have to talk about a b and c you're ready to talk a lot about a b and c right <laughs> instead of like not knowing whether you're supposed to do a p q l or m right mm. like like that's the difference right mm -hmm. and so yeah i that is and again that that really just goes back to what i said earlier about like i design the way i play i mean yeah. you know like that's just this is how it is like all these things that are in my game like paint the scene questions and various questions that you pose and different structural elements uh sharing backstory all this stuff is just like how i used to ad hoc run my games of mm. like dungeon world or whatever right mm. like it was just it was just the way i read this way i ran those games and so mm. i just kind of codified it and made it like official in my games and the other thing that really stands out to me and i'm sure you get asked i bought told that this all the time in a sense of it, but like the unseen idea mm. that sort of element of like here's something that's not related to the story that's also going on now players tell us about it and be prompted mm -hmm. to do that and then having this idea of the echoes in the night of like like bits of these elements are back and forth again it feels so cinematic and so cool as a player describing a scene that you have yeah. no investment in and then you're like okay and then you're talking afterwards going oh but I saw this in in that scene with you and then like making those connections is really <laughs> right, fun right. and again I had not seen that okay and other other things and it feels very improv as well the unseen is is the unseen is another uh, quite novel thing in the in the in the, in the hobby it's this idea so I had this idea when I was creating the between especially is I wanted I want this to be cinematic you know I want it to be cinematic mm. and I want the city of London or at least our version of it mm. I want it to be a character in the story as well you know right. and so I created this idea it was originally called the overseen and then it was called the it had another name before that. And it eventually landed on, I landed on this sort of like wordplay of unseen. Yeah. Love it. Um, and it's this scene that takes place on the same night as whatever your characters are doing. 
but in a different part of the city, like you said, has no direct connection to the events of the story, but they can be thematically connected or they can be connected via motif or visuals, right? And mm. you get experience points if you make those connections. And yeah. so it just serves to create this, like, it really does feel like you're watching, like, the b-roll or something or like you know you know or something like that right like or you're looking at like a it's a cinematic narrative framing device it's like Mm -hmm. okay we're we're seeing this story of this couple in london who are at each other's throats and one of them's going to kill the other one by the end has nothing to do with what we're doing in the Mm -hmm. in the main story but there are themes that we can connect up to what's going on in the main story and um it's a really i when i created this device i was i I felt pretty confident it would work but it wasn't until we started doing it and actually playing yeah where i was was like okay it's working like people get get it yeah Yeah. like people get it and it's and it and it just creates this like richness of experience that i just think that it you know um it's it's what i turn up for like this is why i play role-playing games you know like this is why i do this like i i want this like rich deep thematic storytelling experiences and you know i'm like anybody else i like games where you just sometimes kill monsters and collect loot that that has a certain pleasure to it like (laughs) I, i won't lie but that's not what i write like what i write is this much more like kind of cinematic like kind of narratively rich and deep like stuff mm. you know and and importantly how do i create a design structure so that you as a player can do that right like yep. it's not just dependent on you being like particularly creative or mm. improv you know skilled like you 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 are guided and prompted in a way that you're contributing to the story in super cool ways. And yeah, all those prompts are so again they had that focused element of it. So you're not you know you're not constantly like uh, grasping for things. So it feels very right. focused. So you could literally just say a sentence or two, or you can go into mm-hmm. a big long speech. Or you go deeper, it. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I completely agree because I think again you write about it in the between that this idea that making London a character and it feels like. Mm-hmm. As such a big trope in, uh, I don't say UK literature, but like sort of, I'm thinking of Thomas Hardy, Jane Austen. There's always like, and now we look at the location. Mm-hmm. Thomas Hardy is always about the heath, and it's like no matter yeah. if it's so dark or like it's <laughs> yeah. always about the heath, and it's about the little yeah. people, and then zooming in on these things. So it feels incredibly British. So k- kudos, mm. I really enjoyed that. I was like, <laughs> <That's good>. ah. <laughs> but with all those out of the way, you know, you got Brindlewood Bay, the between. What is public access, <laughs> and how does it differ? Public access, yeah, yeah. Public access is my third game. Uh, fourth, if you count the Between Ghosts of El Paso, which is like mm. a spinoff of of the Between, yes, um, a cowboy spinoff. But third, uh, my third solo authored game, Public Access, is a game about a a group of young people. They're like in their early twenties in the year two thousand four, specifically, who <laughs> who are investigating the disappearance of a public access television station that was in their town that they grew up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't know each other as kids, but they've found each other as adults on this forum that explores the disappearance of this uh, public access TV station uh, called TV Odyssey. And it's the literal disappearance. It vanished. <laughs> like the building physically vanished from the space. The local authorities at the time said it burned down, but there was no evidence of that. And indeed, nobody in this little town that they that the station was in, it's called Deep Lake, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, this little town in New Mexico, uh, nobody will, will remember or they're willingly or willfully forgetting like public access, this public access TV station existed. And so your your characters go back to Deep Lake as adults in 2004 because they met on the internet and now they're just going to have a fun summer together yeah. trying to see if they can find out what happened. <laughs> like, they, like they're not like they go there almost like it's like a, a lark, you know, it's yes, like, well, let's just see, yeah. you know. And so while they're there, 
they're asking around and they're not making any headway on that mystery, but they get wrapped up in other mysteries mm. around Deep Lake. So, you know, urban legends, creepy pasta type things, you know, yes. those sorts of like early internet stories. Like it's inspired mm. by that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But as they're sort of um, doing those mysteries, they are getting closer to figuring out what happened to TV Odyssey because in the fiction of the game and indeed in the mechanics as well, there is this uh, concept of the Odyssey tape. Mm -hmm. So there are these tapes that contain episodes of the programs that aired on TV Odyssey. Mm -hmm. And the tapes are, uh, they're very weird. They're frequently yeah. extremely scary. Yeah. <laughs> And it's it's the unseen mechanic of between, except yes. it's more built into the fiction of the story yes. of, of, the, of the characters, where essentially at night, your characters, if they've managed to find a tape, they can choose to, you know, quote unquote, watch the watch tape. And what they're really doing is just like, you're just creeping each other out as players describing what's going on in the tape, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, as you as you collect a certain number of tapes, the campaign progresses and eventually mm -hmm. you're able to figure out what happened to TV Odyssey. So the game is analog horror. It is found footage horror. It yeah. is uh, 80s sort of synth wave, vapor wave aesthetic. It mm. is it's cults in the desert, it's urban legends, it's slasher flicks come to life. Like it's all these sorts of things, mm. this sort of really particular American pop culture in particular yes. from like the eighties to like early nineties or like late seventies, mm. early nineties. It's this sort of cultural uh, stew <laughs> that yeah. all kind of comes together. And um, it's a really, really personal game in the sense that in 2004, I was the age of the characters that, you know, uh, and I love all the things that they love. And it's a game about nostalgia. It's a game yes. about childhood and childhood trauma. It's a game about um, friendship, but also it's a game about this strange place in the desert mm. that might be a portal to some other dimension, right? And that's why all this is happening. And so, um, yeah, that's basically what it is. It Mechanically, it uses a combination of Brindlewood Bay in the between. It very much like mashes them up mm -hmm. uh, to create something new. And I'm really happy with it. The reception yeah. has been, it's only been out for like a little over a week. And mm. the reception has been super positive. Everybody, everybody's like, wow, there's, this is like a new thing. Like this mm. is not something we've seen before. And mm -hmm. so that makes me really happy. And good. I'm always trying to like deliver new things to people and so i'm happy that people are like seeing this and they're like whoa this is like nothing that else is out there and so yep. that makes me really happy again for me so compared to that the between which obviously does have an antagonist presence mm. that you can always sort of attribute to you have a similar thing here but no central villain or anything you just have the big man which the big man <laughs> freaks me out even though yeah. like I, like and you have this idea like obviously like you said the more tapes you watch it sort of unlocks several layers but obviously you get mm. to a point and you're like well then you're retired and i'm like no i want to find <laughs> out oh and i just i really liked again how you wrote about this idea like what is happening to this person who you know appears in the, the singer episodes and then slowly starts to coming you know you see them integrated in the story yeah. and i'm like nope nope that's that that's like proper um oh the the was it uh, is it the following i can't remember the the one that's always always coming towards you no matter what and i'm like yeah <laughs> it follows yeah it's a little it bit follows, like that yes, it's, of course. yeah it follows is a great touchstone for this game actually because mm. it has a lot of the same like kind of aesthetic and and nostalgic vibes course, that yeah, uh, yeah. that uh public access does mm. the big man this character you're right there is no central villain in in this story unlike in Brenda with Bay in the between mm. it's more of a central mystery more than a central villain mm. but we do have this character that that acts as a sort of 
Greek chorus slash narrator slash pseudo antagonist, but not really. No. The big man is a character that recurs in all my games uh in different forms um he is the man in the sun mask in the between oh, he is <laughs> sorry <laughs> he shows up in different contexts uh in in all the things we publish and because he's almost like an archetype of a character but this yes. is but in this game he really gets to be a central kind of figure and his function is like if you imagine um like the log lady in Twin Peaks, you yes, know, yes. like, you know, the log lady, she's there, she lives in the town and, but she comments, right. She has like mm. things to say and it's cryptic and, and it's, it's, and it enhances the weirdness. That's sort of what the big man is. Definitely. He is there to enhance the weirdness and to say cryptic things. And, mm. and the keeper is armed with all kinds of fun quotes and stuff for yes. the big man. Like you go in knowing how to play the big man, you know? Yeah. And it's fun. And whenever he shows up on screen, like the players are always like delighted. Like it's a, it's an exciting thing to, to have. Um, he actually originated from, I ran this Monster Hearts actual play a few years ago, um, mm -hmm. which is in one of our podcast feeds uh, called Mercy Falls. And he served a similar function in that campaign. That's where mm -hmm. I started to develop him as a character. Um, mm -hmm. And then I eventually kind of incorporated him into, into more formally into some of the stuff we were doing. But mm -hmm. uh He's loads. He's loads of fun to play. I, I can, yeah, I can, I totally see that. And yeah, you, you've written these amazing quotes that you can just drop in. But yeah, as, as, as you put it, weird, cryptic, but also likable. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, he's very likable. Yeah, he's, he's very like, he's meant to like, like you're meant to like be excited to see him, right? Sure, like sure, sure, sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> I like characters like that. Like even in the between, like Theodora Brathwaite, who is the villain oh, of right. of the initial villain. If you play her first in the campaign, yeah, she's still very likable, right? Yes. Like even though she's the yes. bad guy, like everybody loves Theodora, right? Like yeah. it's it's that kind of thing. No, I get that. I get that. Um, I guess because obviously that that's obviously three very different games, but obviously using that same sort of uh, like that framework and stuff like that. I guess my question to you is like, what was what's been the best part of designing these games? Like, what's what's the bit that you've like sparks joy or something? Like, what what is that sort of you get up and you're like, I'm going to design this today. What what's that sort of thing that that gives you that? It's our community, really, yeah. honestly. Like, I mean, I love writing the stuff and I love designing stuff and creating frameworks for people. But what I really really love is um watching you know, our community of like very engaged writers and creators take these games and create stuff for them. And and these games have a lot of space for that to happen because you can write scenarios or you can write unseens or you can yes. write Odyssey tapes or you can do playbooks or whatever. Like there's a lot of space to like create things. And so mm. that's what gets me excited. Um, I like to... I like to know that I'm creating something that somebody is going to take and like take it to places I never even foresaw. Mm. Like the between creative community is huge. Like mm. the, the, there's a homebrew list that floats around and it's enormous. Like <laughs> people have taken the between in places that I just could not, I literally could not like have even thought of, you know, mm. like it's still kind of fundamentally the same game, but it just has like, you know, when people bring their own perspectives to it and their own creativity to it, especially if you've given them the tools to do it effectively, yes. that's really fun to see. And then as a as a publisher, I have the added bonus of like, if there's something that I see that is, that would really fit with what we're doing, I could be like, hey, you know what, like, let's mm. go ahead and like, elevate this and publish it, right? Let's get mm. it, let's clean it up and get it out there, you know? And yeah. so that's been really fun too. So like, for Brindlewood Bay, there's a total of like 40 mysteries or, that are official mysteries. I've only written six of them. <gasps> 
the other 34 are written by other people, right? <laughs> uh, I've only written like five or six of between mysteries and there's like, mm. like a hundred of those. And like, mm. so the, not that many, but it was a lot. Yeah. And so that's been really fun for me. Like there's this, there's this part of me that's not just a game writer, but also like an editor and a publisher where I get mm. to sort of see what the community is doing. And we're fortunate because the games are, you know, reasonably successful that we're able to like, you know, like pay people to create stuff for them, you know? Mm. And so it's fun to be able to, to like take other people's creative visions and then put it through my editorial filter yeah. so that it feels like it's part of the game, you know, like it's something, mm -hmm. it's like all one product, you know, and, and mm -hmm. I find that very, very enjoyable. Um, it's an enjoyable part of the process. And, and we try to like facilitate this a lot, like by doing contests and other things like right now mm -hmm. we're doing a public access writing contest, yes, right? Yeah. Whereas, so that's like, that's going on uh, as we speak. Mm -hmm. And, and my hope is that, you know, we'll see some cool stuff and maybe there will be something that we'll like and that will make it an official part of the game. But if not, that's okay too. People yeah. can do whatever they want with their mysteries. We have workshops, like there'll be a workshop that people can attend to support that contest. Um, and then uh, we, we're just always doing stuff like this. You know, we're always yeah. like kind of like trying to to really, really like cultivate writing talent. You know, I yeah. think that's a really big part of what we do. Um, mm. I think that our games are much more... Um, literary and mm. and authorly you know than i think yes. a lot of other games are you know a lot of games are just systems you know but these mm. are like systems but also like creative works you know with Absolutely. like with like quotes and language and description which is not to say there aren't other games like that obviously there no, are but no, like no. But we focus on it though right it's a big focus for us right like we 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 really focus on these like these like really like rich details and mm. um and so we try to we're trying to like create this like creative space where people feel emboldened to create for our mm -hmm. games and possibly if it's something that works with what we're doing get published by us or someone else right yeah. and so uh that's really fun for me yeah just to like literally jump on that yeah you're all, all again in all three of the books you you're always like here's how you do this and it's so straightforward and like you want to make yeah. a custom mood just do this and do this and i'm just like <laughs> oh go. my god like i mean some like say i don't know D D people don't even do that in their in their actual games of like how, do you want to do a heist good luck you're like yeah, Come yeah, on. yeah. <laughs> right yeah so yeah. and yeah so it feels so welcoming actually like again you've oh, good. Got, yeah, it, good. But, but it's true like you've got these really interesting ideas and you're like here's a here's a system if you want to change it here's how you do it and then like you said like all this sort of thing like you said the the welcomeness of the community that author type thing so it's not only just a game just for players but i i definitely feel like oh Oh, man i could definitely see why people would be inspired because it's so easy it's yeah, everything slowed yeah. out and i as someone who runs and plays in games and don't necessarily i don't necessarily write my own content at all but i'm just like but it could be so easy and you I'm could like, right you yeah. could right like like there's like if i mean my whole my whole writing career is uh, evidence of like there are not many chromosomes separating like being a gm and being a game creator right yes, like very yeah. very similar activities <laughs> right yeah um so it, it does not take much to like flip yeah. over to the other side now there are the trickier aspects are of course like marketing and all that stuff that's all yes. stuff that you know you got but but like the the act of just going from being a gm to being like a content creator or a creator of game stuff like that's very not easy but it's the path is straightforward right like the you path is straightforward it just needs that it just needs you to put one foot and then go exactly. down the slope right yep. Yep. <laughs> and hopefully getting started is the hardest part right yeah exactly so then the flip side of that question which i appreciate isn't necessarily the nicest question so feel free to like, change it to how you want but uh, what's been the toughest challenge would you say with designing these sort of games or has there been any challenges any obstacles that you could think mm. of god uh, like I, I wish i'd known about this before i'd started you see what i mean i yeah that's a good question i think for me 
I would say probably the toughest thing for me of this is a, I'll talk about it from a business standpoint. Please, yeah. There's a hard part of this from a business standpoint where you achieve a certain level of success. And I'm very fortunate to have built a fairly successful little publishing business, mm -hmm. but you're kind of like in this weird space where things ramp up really quickly and you suddenly have to pivot mm -hmm. and you have to become more business oriented and logistics oriented and project mm -hmm. management oriented. And you're doing well, but maybe not so well that you can like hire all the people you need to hire. Right. Course, and so you're, yes. you're, you're in this like really like kind of tough space. A lot of the time mm -hmm. there, there's a part of me that almost wishes that like my games were just like kind of more niche and I could just focus on the creative aspects and not worry about the business aspects of, of it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, I do strive for them to be successful mm -hmm. business wise as well. And so we are definitely like in this weird, like growth place right now where our games are having like pretty good success, but mm. we're not quite at a level to where I can like hire up, you know? Yes. I and so yeah. that's, that's hard. Um, mm. That's the business side of it. The creative side of it. I don't know how, you know, for me, it's not so much like difficulty. I think mm. it was more just figuring out how I work creatively. Mm. So I had to discover a few things about myself. Uh, first thing, uh, Brindlewood Bay was the first creative writing thing I'd ever done. Like for one really? thing, amazing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been, I mean, I've been or, or published. Or actually, finished. I'll say finished. right. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure, but sure. Actually sure. finished. Yeah. And so that was something. But also, uh, there, there was a part of there was a learning process where I had to figure out like how I create, how I write, mm -hmm. what my rhythms are. And so for me, I had to figure out like, okay, it does not do you any good to just sit down and and just look at a blank page and try to write <laughs> yeah. like, that's not how you work <laughs> what i do is i think about something for sometimes literal months mm. and then i let it stew and i and then when i'm ready to write it i sit down and i knock it out in no time flat <laughs> right Whoa. Like, yeah like public act i wrote public access literally in like four days right what? um oh i wrote but i've been thinking about it for a long long time sure. and public access in particular has been on the back burner for a long time but when i finally sat down to do it was when it had all clicked in place in my head you know mm. Uh, same thing for Brindlewood Bay. I wrote Brindlewood Bay in a few days. I wrote The Between in like two weeks. Mm -hmm. And But there was a process before that where it's like just thinking, 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 putting it all together in my head, understanding how it has to look and be in my head. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, finally, like sitting down and writing is the last part for me. Like it's yeah. the last final step, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's that's not how everyone works, but it's how I work. And I had to kind of figure that out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I had to figure out like the relationship between media consumption and how I create, right? Like, mm. like reading books and how important is it to read books and to do watch different things and expand your horizons. And last year was very much a sort of like gathering creative inspiration year. And mm. so I read like 55 books last oh year. Wow. And, and it was all because I was just like devouring the stuff that I eventually would, I would eventually bring into public access, right? Yeah, like yeah, it was all yeah. stuff that like, I, I was like, okay, I'm reading lots of horror. I'm reading lots of Stephen King. I'm reading lots of um, reading just just lots of like stuff that fits with with my what I think public access is going to be. And so I'm just absorbing, absorbing, absorbing. And mm -hmm. then start of the year, I wrote it. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, like that's done. the Whew. yeah, yeah. So it's <laughs> so I wouldn't say it's a difficulty, but you definitely no. have to understand like how you create, what your rhythms yeah. are, and try not to. I think it's a mistake to try to do what other people do. Like if it works for you, then good. But I think that you have to be really conscious of like what your 
what your creativity is like. And yeah. sometimes it seems like you're not doing anything, but you really are, you know, <laughs> and that's important. You know, it's important yeah. that like, sometimes you just need like time to kind of just sit with something, you know, and it doesn't mm. seem like you're quote unquote working, but you are working and yes. that's important to acknowledge. No, I really appreciate that as somebody who mm. definitely is very similar and like, I've got plenty of time and then, okay, it's two days to go. Right, crack fingers. Oh, let's yeah. go. Um, <laughs> let's see, but, yeah. but it's yeah. true. I think, like, I think a lot of that research part is actually so interesting, and then being able to put it together, like you said, and then be like, "All right, now it makes sense." Rather than, like you said, just staring at a blank page for several right. days and be going, mm. "I don't know my name several times." Done, like you know, it, <laughs> right. it, it, yeah. wasting time. I think on mm. that front. So yeah, I definitely see the the value of that. But my penultimate question for you, Jason, is if there was like a piece of advice you would give someone who was going to run any of your games, you know, it's mm. their first time sort of running a game. Game, what would be that piece of advice if, if, if there is like you might just be like read the book <laughs> uh, well th that is probably the, my advice yeah, but true. also um so every game that we publish has a session one procedure in it so well actually not true trophy doesn't but um but trophy does have lots of other yes. support stuff but uh our other games though they all have a session one procedure in the back of the book and so if nothing else do that read that and do that and you'll <laughs> the first hour or so of your session of your first session will at least be scripted and really good and done um but hopefully what that will do that scripted portion will give you a chance to sort of you know kind of gives you a low stakes chance of like being in the spotlight for a little bit as the as the keeper uh to sort of get into a certain rhythm in terms of how you present things mm -hmm. um so definitely follow the session one procedure i think that's something that we we've constructed for you mm. as a first-time gm mm. for our games so definitely use that yes but big picture though even better though i think in terms of a more satisfying answer probably is <laughs> figure out what the media touchstones are and mm. watch some of them if you're going to run Brindlewood Bay, I strongly recommend you watch the first three episodes of Murder, She Wrote, because yeah. those first three episodes are like half the initial mysteries in the, in, in like they're, they're direct inspirations for like half the <laughs> mysteries in the, in the core book. Mm. Um, so you don't even have to get that far in Murder, She Wrote. Just watch the first few. Yeah, yeah. For the between, you can do a lot worse than watching episodes one through three of season one of Penny Dreadful. Those first three episodes of Penny Dreadful are like, they are like the between, like that's what yeah. the between is, is those three episodes. And for public access, uh, public access is all about vibes. I don't know, like find our playlist on Spotify or something <laughs> and just vibe, you know, <laughs> it's so much about vibes. Uh, but no, just listen to don't sleep, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, inspirations, follow the guidance in the book, obviously, and do yes. the session one procedure. But, but otherwise, like just, you know, our games are all about nostalgia and mm. retro feeling and media touchstones and genre and so you, you can never go wrong by just you know engaging with that genre or that media touchstone a little bit yeah 100 percent. no and oh uh, yeah i just uh, thank you so much for introducing me to a world where i was like oh brilliant i don't have to play any of those games <laughs> <laughs> so great. my sort of final question to you is you know where where can we find all of your work where if you've got mm. any on any social media also if there is i appreciate Public access has literally come out, but are there any other projects you want to talk about? Sure, Please, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. feel free to mention them if you wish to, but obviously there's no pressure to. But yeah, but where can we find all of your wonderful work? As far as where you can find our stuff, we have a website. It's uh, the Gauntlet website. It's gauntlet-rpg.com. Mm -hmm. And we have a couple of different Twitter presences. There's a main Twitter account at Gauntlet RPG, uh, but then also the Trophy RPG Twitter account. And there's a Brindlewood Bay Twitter account as well. Yes. So. Those are pretty easy to find. And then I'm on Twitter at Jason Cordova6. That's my only social media presence. I'm theoretically on Facebook, but I, I only yeah. log in like once every six months. Um, <laughs> otherwise, uh, our Discord is really great. Um, mm -hmm. I That's really our nerve center in the gauntlet, like that Discord. 
uh, server. So I recommend that. We, maybe we'll have a link or something wherever this shows up. Yes. As far as games that are coming up, I'm happy to talk about them. So this is our, we, we have promised four big games this year and public mm -hmm. access was the first. And so yep. we're, we're on track. Um, the other three big <laughs> games coming out are variations of the Brindlewood Bay mystery system. Mm -hmm. We have, this is not the order they're coming in, no. um, but, but that's, it's whenever you sit down to write them, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. So the first is the, um, the role-playing game uh, called Arkham Herald. Mm. So Arkham Herald is by Ollie Jeffrey with contributions from myself and some other folks as well. It is a game about newspaper reporters in 1970s Arkham, Massachusetts. Wow. And it is a Cthulhu Mythos uh, game. It's a straight Cthulhu Mythos game, not mm. like this sort of fake Mythos thing that Brindlewood Bay is. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it is, it is like, it's Cthulhu, it's all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, but basically these are, these are newspaper reporters in 1970s Arkham, and they are honing in on this like sort of conspiracy related to Cthulhu and there's other conspiracies that you can do but the initial campaign is Cthulhu but what's great about the game is it takes its inspirations from like 1970s political thrillers and Ooh. 1970s uh sort of serial killer movies and stuff like that right mm -hmm. so or even like stuff from the 90s but with that same flavor like seven yeah. like movies like that Ooh, I love that. and so yeah these newspaper reporters are basically following up on like bloody crime scenes and gang violence and drug violence it's really really gnarly gritty kind of setting mm -hmm. but underneath it all there's this occult conspiracy right oh. this conspiracy <laughs> right and so it's it's sort of taking this sort of like cthulhu mythos and bringing it into this like really 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 like grimy gritty setting um mm. and i'm pretty excited about it um yeah. should be good fun and then we have um the silt versus role-playing game mm. uh the silt versus is a audio drama podcast um uh, well it's published by rusty quill mm. but it's this uh it's not hard to describe, but basically it's it's this <laughs> horror podcast about a world that's kind of like our modern world, but everything is focused on gods. And so you have like, Ooh, okay. you know, you might have a god just in your backyard, right? In the fountain, you know, you might like, there are like all kinds of little local gods. Everything has a god, right? Ooh, and nice. there's gods that are corporate branded gods and all this other stuff, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You play characters who are basically dealing with the sort of lost and forgotten gods that are causing trouble. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> there are these like abandoned gods that still want to be worshipped and they still want sacrifice. And you have to travel to these communities and figure out, okay, how do we get this abandoned harvest god to chill the fuck out so, we can, like, <laughs> yeah. so this community can keep going? Amazing, you know? love that. Yeah, or there's this like family god that lived in their backyard. Now it's escaped and that family moved away decades ago and now it's just roaming around like well what do we do about it you know mm -hmm. so that that's sort of what the silt versus uh game is about the podcast is excellent i really recommend mm -hmm. it it's so so good um and then our final game is moonlight veil uh, mm -hmm. for this year that's going to be later this year but moonlight veil oh and i should mention the silt versus is by gabriel robinson and myself mm -hmm. and then um moonlight veil is by alex rabitsky and megan caldwell and it is essentially stardew valley but with Brindlewood Bay mystery mechanics on top of it. Oh, yay. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so. excellent. <laughs> Not a strict horror game, more of like a, uh, it, it definitely has like farming sim vibes, excellent. Uh, but it also has, it also has like small town mysteries, right? So mm. it's, it's the Stardew Valley mystery game. Yeah. Oh my God. Like I, I, as soon as you say every single one of them, I'm like, well, okay, I'm playing that. Okay. 
yeah. Good. That's, oh, no, that's so cool. I, oh, I'm very excited for that. What a, what a cool year you've got coming out. Now that public access out, you've got all these. Oh. Yeah, we're really, we're hitting it hard. Yeah, we, we are we are so deep in editorial and all these different games. And uh, it's great fun. It's very exciting. And we owe it all to Brindlewood Bay. Uh, yes. <laughs> Brindlewood Bay's success is why we're able to do this. But yeah, <laughs> we're not resting on our laurels, that's for sure. No, no, not at all, not at all. And you said that, was it the pre-order for the, the hardback? For and the Brindlewood Bay is available. Yeah, you can, for Brindlewood Bay and the supplement Nephews in Peril are available to order hardback. There's also a collection of, um, uh, you can get, there's suspect cards and uh, needlepoint <laughs> dice. Uh, that's a brand new thing just for pre-order. Um, so those are available as well. Fantastic. Oh, well, oh, thank you so much, Jason, for literally me gushing at you for like an hour. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, no, no I, 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 I somehow managed. I <laughs> oh, know. I'm just like, oh, okay. I'll take your compliments. Fine, fine, fine. Um, but no, I, I, yeah, I honestly, if, if for both people listening, I, I had such a good time with between, and then reading through these other games, I'm just there going, mm, why aren't more people in the UK talking about? It? I'm sure, like you said, your Discord community is so beautiful and sort of like really engaging and stuff like that. But I'm like, why? I need to talk to other people about your games. <laughs> so I might start with you. <laughs> How's that? I love it. Yeah, I love it. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'm hoping to do more of these special Q&A bonus episodes in future, including Q&As on the one-shots we've run here at What Am I Rolling? If you have a question or think of an RPG designer you'd like to see interviewed on this podcast, let us know. Our email address is whatamirollingpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. See you next time.